hoping you guys can hear me. Uh, if you can just give me a quick emoticon or something. Okay, great. Fantastic. Uh, so there's going to be a summer program here with the Unsanctioned Citizen. We are going to move to evenings, and then we're going to be doing mostly readings throughout the summer for a variety of reasons. Uh, because One, because I can monetize the readings and get paid to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to do some tandem programming. Basically, I, re I record what I do here at my little, you know, studio, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I've got my blue mic here, and it's a podcast mic. And I record the readings, and then um, I put those on a different uh, different program, but I also do it live on Colin. So Colin gets the benefits, and then also I can also monetize the programming elsewhere, but it's kind of two for one, and I've figured it out. So I could probably do this with a regular podcast, but it's not the same as you know taking calls and uh, actively taking calls. So it's, it's just a little different. It's going to be kind of one way most of the summer. <clears throat> and uh, so I just wanted to announce this as the Unsanction Your Mind, the 2022 Summer Reading Series. And uh, that's going to be Monday through Friday, starting around 7.20 Central Standard Time. Starts today. Uh, and you can check listings for the weekends. We're also moving That AI Show to uh, to Saturdays. So it'd be one, two hours of programming for AI, AI-related business um, on the weekends, on a Saturday. So... You can get the Unsanctioned Citizen, though, if you if you like this show, on Podomatic. You can get it on Colin, Substack, Apple, Spotify, and now we're gonna try it out on Odyssey because we could get paid on Odyssey. I mean, I have no dispersions uh, on Colin. Colin is a great platform. It's afforded lots of really cool connections and opportunities, but it's not making any rain. I'm sorry, and you get paid. Um, so there it is. There's my there's my opportunity. So that's us. We're going to be reading a podcast series, Unsanctioned Your Mind, which has been pretty popular actually. Uh, live at Colin, uh, we're going to be sponsoring literacy for the 2022 summer reading series, and uh, that's going to air live here, at Colin, 7:20 p.m. Central Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and. We're going to have a live feed, and it's going to be some... So what are we going to be reading? We're going to be reading Willful Blindness. How a criminal network of narcos, tycoons, and CCP agents infiltrated the West by Sam Cooper. It's going to be really popular with Canadians who don't know what's going on, whom I, whom I love to inform about Canadian corruption. So they can stop feeling like they're so superior to uh, their brethren to the south and the other brethren to the south. So um, I just wanted to say that you can catch that here tonight, starting at 7:20. And uh, so I'll just move on to the collective punishment piece. Okay, so it's important to know what the tools are of sanctioning. And one of the things that we have not, like, talked about yet is collective punishment. 
So collective punishment is a punishment or sanction imposed on a group for acts allegedly perpetrated by a member of that group, which could be an ethnic or political group, or just the family, friends, and neighbors of the perpetrator. Because individuals who are not responsible for the wrong acts are targeted, collective punishment is not compatible with the basic principle of individual responsibility. Okay. So, who throws out individual responsibility in political process? We're going to talk to to the operations of most collectivist socialist movements and why collective punishment has become such a baton or mob policing has become such a baton. It's because they believe in collective punishment. Okay, socialists believe and collective punishment. So, collective punishment is prohibited by treaty both in international and non-international armed conflicts, more specifically Common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions and Additional Protocol 2. Which is odd because I think there's so much of it going on in American government or parallel government that's occurring in some kind of fascist construct with our corporations, globalized corporations, it's time to call it on the mat. So here's a couple things that I find ironic. The Native American population is now kind of on the kind of medicine wand. They're, they're lifting it up as you know the whole collective of all Native American issues and Native American tribes. Well, it's an irony in and of itself because Native Americans suffered collective punishment. Okay? And the Indian Removal Acts, you know, it's it, we call it genocide, but it started as a version of collective punishment. They had to go round up all these folks, displace them off. They had to take away their individual rights and then they displace them into places where they had, you know, kind of like prison penal colony situations. And that situation, or that enduring situation, is called a reservation in, in, uh, in the Americas. So, so, we all know what a reservation is, sort of. But I, I don't think people generally understand how reservations kind of evolved. But I, what I need to say going forward is that that Brooklyn has decided to take up the Native American cause. We're talking AOC, you know, Holy Granola Rollers in in the in Whole Foods, like downtown, and Vice News have decided to take up. We're talking Noriega has taken up the Native American cause. Okay, guys. Okay, guys. You know, but just don't forget, you know, you don't speak for Native America as a collective. You don't speak for Native American issues as a collective. Even the BIA, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, doesn't speak to Native American stuff as a collective. You know why? Because there's different tribes in different states, in different treaties, with different jurisdictions. 
They're different tribal governments. Okay? So pandering. Here's what they've done. Okay, they're taking they're they're putting Oklahoma on the medicine stick. Okay, they're like, let's lift it up and look at them. Here's what's wrong with that. Any tribe on a reservation in Oklahoma was put there by the American government as a penal penal colony. Like a prison colony first. That's what you need to know. So that's not necessary necessarily Native American land. It's penal colony land where Native Americans reside. For instance, I think the Muscogee actually are a southeastern tribe from like Alabama or, you know, they're they're like the Miami adjacent tribe in the southeastern U.S. They're not really from Oklahoma. There are some oil leaks on the land in Oklahoma. They are trying to control the energy crisis in Oklahoma and conflate it as a Native American conflict. And then they're calling up Native American socialists who say and do what Brooklyn wants, which is easy because they can find them. But you can't do this on a collective basis and say all tribes are. That's against the rules. It's not even not even what it would do. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak for myself as myself. Okay? As unincorporated native person who <clears throat> isn't recognized. You know, I, I don't get paid to be native ever. So what I'm going to say is this. Is that if you really want to dip into this, all right? There's not a single Native American tribe on a reservation that really should be there. What should be happening when they talk about collective appropriations or some kind of, you know, leftist socialist merger voodoo uh, where they take all of the land back and give it to whom? The government? Because it's not going to really go to the natives. It's going to go to the government because that's what their revolution means. Everything is meted out and standardized according to the government. Well, there's a conflict there, bro. The federal government is not a friendly to most tribes. Now, this stumbling block was just automatically, immediately noticeable to me. Perfectly clear. Like, I got it right away. No, you're going to give everyone's stuff to the federal government. And that already happened to natives, so fuck you. For real. This is not happening. Okay? That is collective punishment, and it would be happening to everyone again if they got what they wanted. So, oil and gas is a territory-to-territory conflict. Okay? The Lakota had grounds. They had a legal conflict 
that was grounded in reality, they they reserved the rights to move that pipeline over somewhere else off of their lands. Okay, and that's what that was about. You know, there were many who had objections to the mining and drilling of oil. Yes, okay. But the black snake was about it worming through and leaking onto their territories. Okay, which they had a right to resist. They had a right to push back against the federal government who claimed eminent domain, took their stuff, and then gave it to Canada to run their damn oil over it. That's not okay. This has happened and happened and happened and happened. Okay, it's not different when the socialists get involved and say, no, we're socialists, we're better, our government is better, so when we take your stuff, it's going to turn out, it's going to go your way. Like, no, this is still the government taking our shit and giving it to some other guy. Okay? And so when it happens to someone else, honestly, I feel kind of bad. So I don't really want it to happen to anyone. I just don't like theft. It really makes me feel bad. And there's just a lot of it going on. So... Collective punishment is, again, you know, this is this uh, counter-racism garbage where let's, let's invent counter-racism so we can collectively punish the other guy. Now, when something bad happens, like what happened recently in Uvalde, a criminal, a mentally ill, deranged, possibly narco-associated kid took a gun and shot up a classroom. This is tragic. This is very bad. Um, but punishing all gun owners by revoking their rights, and frankly, Justin Trudeau revoking the rights of all Canadians who never committed a crime with a gun ever, that's collective punishment. Okay, and if you, if you delude yourself and think that it's not... I think I think maybe you should go have a conversation with the guy in the mirror cuz that's collective punishment. To a man who did nothing, taking his stuff because of the crime of some other guy who looked like him or had what he has. In this case, if you had an AK-47 or an automa- automatic rifle, you were suddenly a bad person. That is collective punishment. So another version of this is going to kind of erupt this week. A couple hundred people overrun the Capitol. That was not, that was definitely a form of criminal trespassing. There was damage done. People inside of that movement died. Yet they really are lifting up only certain police people who perished as a result of maybe a stress-related illness or something. Okay. And it was more of a, a elections contest, so it, it seems to reek purely of political, political theater. And it is not a relevant conflict to me. I'll tell you why. Because I didn't vote for either one of those two parties in this last election. So I don't have really a dog in the fight. But what I can tell you is that when you deny the due process rights of all 
Trump people, put them under circumspect surveillance, just like you did the Muslims or the Native Americans back in the day. Take their stuff, you know, put them under some sort of version of socialized political incrimination, which is really obvious. I think it might be time to call Geneva and say, listen, I mean, this is just going on and on and on and on. Is anybody going to start looking at the United States and calling them out? I mean, I'll just do it right here on this program. So when collective punishment, quote, when collective punishment has been imposed, it has resulted in atrocities. Historically, occupying powers have used collective punishment against resistance movements or the opposition, okay? The prevailing power and then the opposing power that is involved. Usually it's one or two. In this case, well, another modern example would be the people who voted for Navalny in Russia. Okay, Navalny was, was elected president of Russia. From what we can see, that's what happened. But who's president of Russia right now? Vladimir Putin. Because he really isn't a democratic leader. He's an oligarch. And he rules by force. And they should be having democratic elections where you know there's, there's a peaceful transition of power. and you know, that, That's what should be happening, but that's not what happened. <laughs> So, so you get Putin because Navalny was the opposition and then he was subsequently poisoned in, in the UK because he was the opposition. So he was the resistance political power in that, in that scenario. In the United States, there was Trump and then there was Biden. Okay, Biden was recognized as the winner of the election and then there was a process to 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 do the election and then a few people overran the capital they disagreed with what happened but they criminalized Trump because he made a speech now from what I can tell I'm not defending Trump but I am gonna state the facts is that he said peacefully you know proceed to march which is not, you know, take sticks, batons, go into the Capitol, break windows, and interrupt a legal proceeding, and do things in a disorderly manner. He, he actually didn't say that. That's, that's what I understand. He did not say that. But if you were a collective punisher, doesn't matter. He's the wrong team. The reason why he is a criminal is because he is not a Democrat. That's what makes him a criminal. So the leftist socialist contingency in the Democratic Party, embedded in the Democratic Party, have become collective punishers. This is very dangerous because it goes against individual rights. And if you have no direct association with an offending person, someone who actually broke the law, for instance, in the case of the Uvalde shooter, you know, 
gun owners in in Minnesota have zero zero connection will lose their guns because of the Uvalde shooter. That is collective punishment. So we can't be having this. We need to have they're going to have a January 6th commission political show trial this week. Okay, we'll get through it. But then I'm going to ask my congressman for a review of processes government-wide for the instances of collective punishment, which violate Geneva Convention and human rights of Americans. Because this is happening way too frequently. Okay? They are using corporations to sanction the employment of Americans and to hurt and harm Americans so that they cannot work and their ability to earn is jeopardized okay they're they're going to try to to struggle shame which is something that the Chinese did uh, during the Maoist revolution to to uh, make sure that people have a, a reputational slight or kind of a scarlet letter for their political leanings and their opinions. Okay, there's always been some kind of, you know, consequence, but we are at collective punishment. The whole the whole thrust of the unsanctioned citizen is about addressing collective punishment in some shape or form because there's variations of different sanctions that are occurring right now on Americans okay what Justin Trudeau does really ordinarily I wouldn't give a damn I wouldn't care I don't I don't care what that guy does but because he's he's a globalist in a globalist you know police system in the North Americas he is going to use his trade leverages in North America to try to, to, to wheedle the Biden administration to leverage collective punishment against Americans. Okay, it's already happened. He tried to get identity articles leveraged onto Americans to, to manufacture the need to take a vaccine, okay, which has now turned out to be not so good for you, okay? So the people who held their ground or could hold their ground to take the vaccine or not take the vaccine as a matter of choice, the ones who didn't take the vaccine because they knew that they would be harmed or injured, we salute you because there were things that were definitely wrong with the vaccine. Some people who have taken the vaccine are are now suffering, not from a long COVID, but from from different um, immunological uh, drawbacks from the vaccine. Now, you're not supposed to talk about vaccine injuries or the things that can happen, but it's it's actually a really high, like over 0.03%. We're talking into the 20 percentiles. Okay, once it gets that high, it means it's out one out of four people you know who took the vaccine is going to have some kind of symptom. And that's that is not okay. You can't ignore that. That is a public health issue, okay, that they're going to have enduring, at least 
for temporary, there's going to have some enduring toxicity issues and and maybe some cerebral issues and neurological problems. But there are ways to treat it and ways to process the spike protein out of your liver and just clean your blood and get over it. But people have to have a fair fair access to knowledge about the drawbacks to the vaccine. And if they're suffering from these symptoms, they need to get adequate medical attention, not collective punishment. Because that's what happened when you decided not to take the vaccine. They said, we're going to obstruct your access to medical care. We're going to obstruct your access to employment. We're going to obstruct your access to, to, you know, to whatever we do. And this is driven by Chinese socialist policy. Okay, so then they said, okay, after this horrendous, you know, just crack down globally this, this, this romance with international pandemic authoritarianism, they're like, no, let's double down, let's give, let's give the WHO the ball to do it, you know, ad hoc, whenever they choose, next time. So Brussels is treating this as a huge win. Well, no, no, it goes against sovereign national agreements, and it's an it's it's an overarching. I, I don't think what they've got going on is actually kind of enforceable. And if they tried, I think that they would have legal grounds in courts to to push back, and and they should push back. Nations should push back. They should they should hear from their constituencies, and they should listen. Okay, but there's been this real enthralled, sordid romance with autocratic health authoritarianism and collective punishment. So I don't know why we keep going back to this, but you know, it's you know we we keep doing this. It's like this we're in this horrible cycle where we continue to do these. You know, we invite people into this world as children, and you know, we we it, we try to grow them up and educate them, and you know, get them jobs, and so that they can provide for themselves and make more families and have a have a good have a good life. But then we we do things so that it makes it impossible for that to happen. We create wars. We create all sorts of systems of deprivation. You know, and this is this is without you know economic postulating. You know, where where people who don't have an economic degree sit around and talk about Marxism. You know, this is or or class warfare. You know, if I hear another class warfare discussion, I think I'm just going to throw up in my trash. I just I can't do it anymore. Ugh. So. I'm just going to breathe for a little bit. Anyways, collective punishment is is something we just... We're in this nasty cycle where we just do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. And I think we're addicted to to trying to exact justice on a, on a group rather than take individual responsibility for ourselves. You know, it's that guy over there. But I think once you understand that there is a standard, a legal standard against collective punishment 
Common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions and the Additional Protocol 2. Once you understand that there is a legal timeout, you cannot do this, we cannot do this, then things become clear. The sky parts, the sun comes out, and then we realize, oh, okay, well, we can't do that because then we're barbarism. We are committing atrocities against our fellow man. We've got to limit a broken law to the individual who did it to to just get that one person now there's there's a lot of people who power trip right now they want they want to control guns they want to control rape they want to control bad things that happen so they never happen again and i i applaud that idea i applaud the idea of bad things not happening but it's the very same people who who say okay their solution is to control all guns. All right? Okay, that's that's what they have. Control all guns. Get them off the street. Control semi-automatic weapons. Okay? That's what they want. <sighs> These are the same people who emptied the prisons during COVID. Okay, and it's only criminals who go into the streets with illegally acquired guns and commit gun crime. Okay, the only people committing gun crime in New York City are people who got an illegal gun. And in France, where there are some of the most horrific mass shootings that have happened ever. I mean, just ever. They don't have legal gun. You, you cannot get a gun legally in France. So the only people who have the guns are criminals. And everybody else doesn't have a sidearm. Period. But it but I'm just going to say here in Texas, everybody's more or less armed to the teeth. And to go into any neighborhood would be like going into Switzerland. <laughs> Where everybody has an arm. And that's why no one attacks Switzerland. Because every Household is armed to the teeth by the government. They give they ever standard standard issue. Here's your gun. If anybody comes, it's like a standing army. So nobody will ever attack Switzerland on the ground, like not by land invasion, because everybody's armed. Same thing with uh, with Israel. Everybody is enlisted at. I mean man and woman they're all put in the in the service so they all go into the service and they get guns and they get they get military training they go fight for a while if they're going to fight and then they are just this standing army everybody is in the army everybody fights everybody defends so we don't really have that here in America. What we have are we have arms contractors that get talked about a lot. And we've gotten into this place where we have a lot more collective punishment by mobs, which is not legit. It's vigilante justice by politics and polity. Okay, and it's meted out uh, insecurely, inequitably, 
for instance, okay, here's an example of recent vigilante justice. There was a judge who was killed, Wisconsin judge who was killed. He had a, he, there was a guy. He, pre, he presided over a burglary trial and he sent this suspected gunman to jail for six years. And this guy had a hit list. And so he was conducting, as a criminal, an, a con, ex-con, he was conducting um, a retaliatory hit upon his systemic opposers, his opposition. Now, there are people in who, who believe in what he did, okay, but they're not in power. They're just people out there. But that's vigilanteism. He is not the government. He can't just go in and kill judges willy-nilly and that not, you know, him not come into to direct conflict with the structures of our government and end up right back in that system, like forever. He may he may get the death penal penalty. I don't know. I don't really know what the. It's just not something I daily consider. But let's say he had a political, you know, body behind his acts. Okay, would would it be okay to criminalize everyone in that group for his decisions? No, it wouldn't, because it was only he who pulled the trigger. I don't agree with shooting judges. No, I don't. But if I were to be a person who promotes due process, I would say get the offender, not people who are guilty of what are perceived thought crimes. And we are at thought crimes right now. And so it's not being said enough that collective punishment is something, it is a crime in and of itself. It is an infraction. And unless we encapsulate this trend and call it what it is, it will continue. So I urge you to discuss this with your governing bodies, with people that you know, um, to, to look those things up and discuss them at length. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to the whole, you know, I don't, I don't have a holistic policy for, for Native affairs. You know, if, if there were one Native, no, nobody's invited me to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play solutions, you know, think tank, you know, and play into the hands of the, you know, politerati. I'm not doing that today. All I needed to tell you was what I told you, which is that Natives were first victims of collective punishment and now they are being used to mete out collective punishment to their chosen targets in the, the oil and gas industry which is a jurisdiction by jurisdiction territory by territory basis okay that is not my fight there's not a Native American reservation in Oklahoma that should be there all the Native Americans that are there on a reservation should be back in their own lands, okay? And by their lands, meaning 
you know, they're remnant populations. There, there's not like they are remnant populations. Let's say the government did get involved. I'm just, just as a hypothetical. All right, they're not going to be a massive refugee population. Okay, there are more people flooding over the border than there are Native American tribes from, say, Muskogee. Okay, if they were reappropriated, and say the say now this is my libertarian fantasy. Okay, if if I got the libertarian policy that I wanted, the Bureau of Indian Affairs would just go away, go bye bye, and the taxpayer would not be meeting out collective punishment for for the bureau anymore. Okay, collective punishment against everyone. Okay, against native, uh, against the citizens, just be over. Just would be over. Okay? And then it would go back to jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Ha! It would be it would be government that would be kicked to the states and then the states and the tribal government would have their own packs and then they would worry about the real estate issues there. Okay, it would be real estate to some and tribal lands to others. So, but I, it, it's so complicated that you can't really get into it without getting into kind of like the micro, micro, micro management details of like, okay, well, well, this is your stuff. It's like a divorce, dude. Like, you know, like, okay, who, who's going to get the stuff in the garage and who's going to get the stuff in the attic and who's going to, who gets the goldfish, you know, and then you're like, ah, nobody wants to deal with it. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to deal with it. You know, people just, you know, people will go find something else to do and, and be like, you know, I don't really want to deal with Native American affairs anyway. Well, you're right. I don't I don't really want to do that. But, you know, if you ask me, if you throw, if, if it, someone pushed me and said, okay, let's get involved, I would say, well, well, let me just focus on my own tribe. Okay, which focuses on the stuff that actually pertains to me. And <laughs> that's the most logical you know, and then if it was your state and you had a stake in, say, the small tract of sacred sites or sacred appropriated sites for native interest, I would say you'd have a dog in that fight. But these aren't massive groups of people, okay? These aren't, you know, this isn't like 1853 where, you know, the, the, the proportion of white folks to native folks were about the same. It's not that way anymore. So even if you were to reapportion the land to the tribes, it wouldn't it would be like moving an enclave back to the original lands where they came from and originated. Okay? So eliminate let's just say we eliminated the Miami reservation. All the Miami would go back to a an apportioned land in Florida, Georgia, maybe Alabama, and then the Seminole, all of that. Okay, I'm just using them as an example. And and then, you know, they would just, the states would just work it out. All right? And then no BIA whatsoever. Goodbye. All right? If they want to run a casino, they can. They cannot. You know, it just depends on the state laws. But this isn't something that people think about every day. Brooklyn wants to end oil and gas in perpetuity, but they are lousy at energy policy because they don't generate. 
they are takers not makers they don't generate any energy so I'll start listening to Brooklyn when they start manufacturing a surplus of energy instead of a sur surplus of smug bullshit and you know give me all your money and join the collective all right so yes the unsanctioned unsanctioned citizen is moving to Monday nights Tuesday nights Wednesday nights Thursday nights for not Friday nights <coughs> until we're done and then uh, that's 720 hope you're still interested in listening and uh, I think I'm gonna wrap it up there I'm gonna go on and on and on I've done it for like 54 minutes so I appreciate you guys stopping in I've had two listeners this whole time the faithful Jack and Joshua appreciate you guys um, so so join us tonight at 720 we'll see you then thanks for listening before you go hit the subscribe button remember that callers are welcome subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at substack automatic iHeartRadio podcasts and call in please stay in touch we want to hear from you visit sheila 